0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. A couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I was hungry. It's not an unusual occurrence. And so I was on my way to the church, and I stopped at the McDonald's right down here at the bottom of the hill. And I, I realized that some of you don't eat McDonald's, and I realized that some of you can't imagine anyone eating McDonald's, but I am not one of those people. So for a moment, let's just put that aside and realize that I stopped at McDonald's because I was hungry. And so I pulled up to the speaker, and so I said to the lady, I gave her my order, and she said, okay, pull up to the window. And she said, I, I don't know why she would need to say this to me, but she said, um, please have your money ready when you get to the window, and so I was like, okay, great. And so I didn't do that. I'm sure I was playing on my phone or doing something. I'm not sure. So I just kind of crept in line, you know, car by car. And we get to the window. And when, when we do, I, I roll down my window and she says, that'll be 573. And it's at that moment I realize I have to pay. And so I look, I, I reach for my wallet and I realized I did not have my wallet. I, I, that's, that's a very unusual occurrence. There's lots of things I lose, but I almost all, I mean, I, I have my wallet with me and I didn't have my wallet that day. And so I said, I'm so sorry. I don't know where my wallet's at. Give me just a second. Let me see if I can can find something here. And so I start, you know, kind of rummaging through my car, trying to find any kind of money that might be in my car, hopefully that amounts to 573. And So I go look, and I look in the glove box, I look under the seat, I'm reaching under the seats, I mean, I'm trying any way I can to find money, and I reach down, kind of, there's this little center console in my car underneath the radio, and I keep spare change there and things, and so I reach into that area, and when I did, I found a gift card, and so I'm thinking, thank you, Lord, and so I reach in, and I grab this gift card, and it turns out it was my oldest son, Cooper's, he had left it in my car, but I'm thinking, you know, we're family, and I've paid for his meal at least a couple thousand times, (laughs) So he won't mind, and so I grabbed this gift card, and I said to the lady, hey, I've got a gift card, and so I hand it to her, and so she takes the gift card, and she swipes it on the machine, and then she swipes it again, and then she swipes it again, and then she gives me that look, you know, you know that look, like, what are you trying to pull on me here? You didn't have your wallet, now you hand me a gift card that can't pay for your food, and... I don't really get embarrassed. I don't know that I felt embarrassment in that moment. I really, I really felt hunger pains, honestly, is what I was feeling. It makes me kind of irritable anyway, and so I was like, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. I, I, I guess you'll just have to keep the food, and I just kind of did that little pause there just to kind of see if they've already made it. Maybe they would just give it to me, but no, McDonald's is a pretty high-level establishment. They don't, they don't give away food, and so I said, I guess I'll just, I'll just have to come back later, and so she hands me the gift card, So I start pulling away from McDonald's. I'm frustrated. I don't know what happened. And I look down at the gift card, and I realize in that moment, it's not like a prepaid Visa gift card that you can use anywhere. It's a gift card for Walmart. (laughs) Like only for Walmart. You have to use it at Walmart. He won it in a contest, I think, here at church. And it was in my car. and, And, like, you can't buy stuff at other places. You have to use the gift card at Walmart. And so it would not work at McDonald's. And so why am I telling you that that tonight other than I I think it's a pretty funny story? I tell you that because I think that is an incredible depiction of the cross. It's an incredible depiction for all of us about our attempt to attain our own righteousness. And so we'll unpack that a little more as we move along for the next few minutes. But here's what we need to know. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us that we are all a part of a big fraternity. Here on earth when it says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard for living. So everyone in humanity is a sinner and doesn't meet the standard that God says we must have to have righteousness, to be made right. Now, in the Old Testament, this reality was pretty heavy. It was a pretty heavy thing that they would carry with them because when you committed a sin in the Old Testament, you had to provide your own sacrifice to atone for your own sin, And so if you committed a sin, you would have to bring some type of sacrifice, depending on how it was spelled out in the law, to the priest, and then they would sacrifice that animal and take the blood and take it to the altar, and that would atone for your sacrifice in that moment, on that day, in time. But you would have to come back every year and atone again for the sins of your past. And so we see that this was a really heavy thing that the Old Testament saints had to do every single time they made a mistake. But as I think about this, like that feels heavier than what I have to do. But I mean, even in that day and time, other than the cost of the animal, like other than the fact that you had to give up like one of your livestock or you had to give up one of your possessions, other than the cost of the animal, what did it really cost you? I mean, you didn't have to die for it. There was nothing really other than the cost and the loss of that animal for you that If you think about it, that it really cost you at all. And so I don't know that it was much different then than it is now. Because it seems that all of us escape the penalty of our indiscretions. It seems that all of us are able to to get away from the cost of what we have done as it relates to sin. This plays out in Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus is a book not many of us read because it's really confusing. And we don't really understand the law and all the different things that we read there. But in Leviticus chapter 16, we see... This yearly ritual that the high priest had to perform to atone for his sins, the sins of his family, and for the sins of all of Israel. And so what he had to do is he had to bring two goats together to the temple. He had to cast lots. Maybe just think about if you want to just kind of roll dice or picking or choosing there through some game of chance. And the winner, or, or maybe the loser, depending on how you play it out, of those two goats was killed as the sacrifice. And he was killed for the sacrifice of the priest, his family, and all of Israel. And, and, and the other goat, maybe you're trying to figure out what happened to him. The blood of the dead goat was taken and, and rubbed onto the live goat's horns, and he was allowed to run free. He was a literal scapegoat. He was able to escape the punishment that was necessary for God's people to be made right and to be made whole and to be made holy in the sight of God. And every single year, this ritual played out over and over and over where the high priest would again choose two goats and again would choose one to be the sacrifice and again would let one go free, only carrying on its person the blood of the sacrifice that was needed for Israel. But the weight of sin is supposed to be heavy. Like the weight of sin, the weight of the law, it is supposed to feel heavy. And yet sometimes because we don't have to pay a sacrifice, because sometimes we don't have to offer an animal anymore, because sometimes we don't really have to do anything that costs us anything really, we don't often feel the weight of our sin and the weight of the penalty But it was designed to be heavy. It was designed for us to feel it because we we could not measure up on our own. There was no way for us to, to be able to offer enough. But instead of us wearing our own penalty, God had a different plan in mind. He had a different plan for all of us than for us to wear our own penalty or to have to atone for our own sin. It appears that the scapegoat of Leviticus 16 wasn't the only one that God allowed To run free. Elsewhere in Leviticus is one of my favorite, if you could say that, it's a little odd to even say that. It's one of my favorite images in all of Scripture. And it was just maybe six or seven years ago that this this picture in Scripture came alive to me. And I've talked about this before, so if you've attended here for any length of time, you've probably heard me tell part of this out of another place in Leviticus, where we see that if you committed a certain type of sin in the law... You had to offer a sacrifice. And you too had to bring two animals to sacrifice. You had to bring two birds to sacrifice. And when you would come to sacrifice, one of those birds would be chosen to be killed for your sin. The other bird would be allowed to live. And then what they would do is they would take the blood of the bird that had been killed and they would take that blood and they would pour it into a bowl. And they would take in that bowl this blood that was drained out of the body. And I'm not trying to make you sick tonight, so I apologize if you get squeamish about imagery like this. But they would take that blood, every ounce of blood that they could get out of this dead bird, and they would put it into a bowl. And they would take the living bird, and they would take that bird, and they would use scarlet ribbon, and they would use hyssop or some other type of plant. And what they would do is they would take that bird, and they would dip it into the blood in the bowl along with the plant, and along with the scarlet. And then they would take a piece of wood, and they would dip it down into the bowl that carried the blood of the bird that had been killed to be the sacrifice for the sin. And then they would take that bowl, and they would set it aside, and they would take that bird, and they would bring it together with the wood and the scarlet and the plant, and they would take that hyssop, and they would wrap it around the legs of that bird, and they would go out into a field. And out in the middle of that field, then they would release that bird, and he would come free from the entanglements that had been attached to him, and he would fly free, only carrying the blood of the sacrifice. And man, when I read that, if I'm not careful, I miss so much of the imagery that exists there. Exodus chapter 12 tells me that it's the same hyssop that was used and dipped in blood to put over the doorposts for the children of Israel When the Passover time came, the wood and the scarlet beckoned me back to the cross. And then I'm left with a bowl full of blood. And it's on a night like this, in the busyness of our schedules, in the busyness of our lives, when it seems so out of place to have a bowl full of blood. And yet my mind drifts again to Jesus sitting with his closest followers just hours before he would be arrested and led to the cross. Just hours before he would stand in this mock trial, this sham of a trial where he would be accused of things that he had never done. And instead, in that moment, he didn't have a bowl full of blood. He had a cup filled with the fruit of the vine. And he said to those followers, he said, there's bread here. And this bread is representative of my body, which is broken for you. It had yet to be broken. And so I don't think they could fully grasp what he was saying to them. And he pointed to the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for the forgiveness of sin. It was as if he was reaching all the way back to Leviticus 16. And he was reaching all the way forward to Hebrews chapter 10. And he was connecting some truths in his very self that he knew they needed to understand. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And then jumping ahead to verse 10 through 12 says this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And by this will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He said, this bowl of blood is no longer needed year after year. Because this cup of juice represents a sacrifice great enough for you. It was as if God had this plan all along. He said, I'm willing to let you escape the weight and the penalty of your sin. It was as if he was saying, listen, I'm willing to let you be the scapegoat. I'm willing to let you be the live bird. You get to run free. You get to fly free. You get to live your life, and I will pay the penalty. I will be the blood that is shed so that you don't have to. But do you remember what he said to his followers that night when he was sitting with them and he was trying to help them understand the bread and the juice? Would you just remember? That's all he said. That's all he asked. He said, listen, every time you do this, would you just remember? I think Jesus knew we would get busy. I think Jesus knew we would live lives that pulled for our attention. I think Jesus knew that we have a tendency to forget our wallet at home sometimes. And if we forget our wallet, surely we would forget the cross. Surely we would forget the body and the blood. And so he said to his followers, Would you just remember? But remembering's hard sometimes. Remembering is difficult because we're so busy, our attention is pulled to so many things, that in our busyness we don't often notice things. That are happening right around us. In January of 2007, a young man exited his hotel room in Washington, D.C. He was wearing jeans and a long sleeve t-shirt and a Washington Nationals baseball hat. He was carrying a music case over his shoulder and he walked out of the hotel and he got into a cab. And he went a few blocks away to the busiest metro station in Washington, D.C., He walked in the doors there about 7.30 in the morning that morning and he sat down the music case. It turns out it was for a violin. He opened up the case and he took a few dollars out of his pocket and he threw it down in the case as seed money for those that might be willing to contribute to him over the coming minutes and hours. He took the violin out of the case that it was in and he began to play. He began to play incredibly difficult classical pieces music. But on this morning, it wasn't just a street musician that was playing. This guy's name was Joshua Bell. Now that name may not mean anything to you, but Joshua Bell is one of the most renowned violinists in the entire world. Here is what they were listening to as he began to play that morning in the busiest metro station in Washington, D.C. He was playing some of the most difficult classical pieces of music ever written. He was not only playing difficult music. He also was holding an instrument that was one of the most renowned, expensive, almost, I don't know, rare pieces of music ever, ever created by man. It was put together in 1713 by Antonio Stradivari he crafted this himself and over the course of the last maybe 200 and what 80 90 years or so 300 years i guess now it's been stolen at least two times and just a few years ago joshua bell paid 3.5 million dollars for this violin because he wanted when he played the violin to play the best instrument he could find Just a few nights before he was playing in this metro station in Washington, D.C., he had played at Boston Symphony Hall. And even the worst seats in the Symphony Hall that night were valued at over $100 a piece. And yet here he stood playing a 300-year-old violin with incredible skill as 1,097 people passed by. This was an experiment put on by the Washington Post. They wanted to see if people are too busy to notice what's happening around them. And so that morning, over the course of 43 minutes, 1,097 people passed by. It took three minutes of Joshua Bell playing these classical pieces of music before anybody even paused their walking to look his way, according to the video cameras that were capturing this moment. It took four minutes before anybody gave him any money when a guy slowed long enough to reach into his pocket and throw one dollar into his violin case. It took six minutes before anybody stopped and turned towards him to listen to the music that he was playing. Over the course of 43 minutes, seven people paused for one minute or so to listen to him play. 27 people contributed money for a total of $32 to his endeavor of playing the violin. And 1,070 people just kept walking as one of the world's most renowned musicians played one of the world's greatest instruments in the middle of the Washington, D.C. metro station. And when I hear that story, when I read the article in the New York Times, when I go to YouTube and I watch it play out in front of me, I can be so quick to judge people like that except that I know for sure if I was in that metro station, I don't know if I would have lifted my head. I don't know if I would have paused to give money. I don't know that I would have asked the question, I wonder if this is someone that I should pay attention to. Because in your life and in my life, we are so busy doing life that we fail to lift our eyes and notice what's happening around us. You want to know what's happening around you? You have been allowed to run free. You're the scapegoat. You want to know what's happening around you? You've been allowed to fly free. You're the live bird. Your blood was not shed in a bowl to be applied to someone else to atone for sin. What's happening around you is freedom. What's happening around you is that you have a choice. live with no one requiring you to bear the weight of your sin. And tonight, I call on the words of Jesus as he sat at a table with his closest friends. And I urge all of us, just just remember I know you're busy I know today was long I know you've got school and you've got work and you've got lives and you've got jobs and you've got financial issues and just remember you don't have to pay the price because he paid Think you and I too often approach God like I approached the lady at McDonald's, attempting to pay for our righteousness with something that cannot do the job. We approach God with our good works. We approach God with our good morals. We approach God with our good work ethic. We approach God with our good marriage or our good home life or our good family or our good parenting. We approach God with our good budget. We approach God with our efforts towards Christian service and faith. We approach God with our church attendance even. And while all of these things are good, they hold no more value than trying to pay for McDonald's with a Walmart gift card. It's not even the same currency. It's not even the same system. And Jesus is calling out to you tonight to say, I have paid the price. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, We invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.